Cave. Going wide on Pedersen, cuts to the front of the net, puts it home, Kobe Cave opens the scoring, it's 1-0 Edmonton. Devastating news out of the hockey world, not just the Oilers community, but Colby uh, Cave, gone way, way, way too soon, Poppy, at 25 years old. Um, maybe you're not a hockey fan, maybe you haven't turned on the TV since the pandemic started, I'm not sure. If you missed what shook down an otherwise healthy middle-aged hockey player, or just say middle-aged, he was entering the prime of his career, uh, experiencing headaches, a little bit worried about going into the hospital given the current circumstance, so they let it slide, and it was only able to slide for so long. Ultimately, Colby and his wife, Emily, go to the hospital and bury airlifted from Barrie, Ontario to Toronto, Ontario. Colby's placed in a medically induced coma with a brain bleed. Uh, the next day, he undergoes emergency surgery to remove what they found was called a colloid cyst. It's basically like a, a gelatinous, benign tumor, um, and it was putting pressure on his brain. So as he was recovering from that emergency surgery, he passed away. That's basically the, the story of how this goes. And I think, um, you know, it's kind of tough to parlay that back to the Humboldt Broncos episode, Poppy. But certainly, again, you, you see how fortified the hockey world is when something like this happens. Just, just tragic. Yeah, the 25-year-old from North Battleford, Saskatchewan, a small town, signed with uh, Boston, uh, unsigned free agent with Boston, made his uh, NHL debut uh, first goal is assisted by David Pasternak, and, uh, you know, he grew up an Oilers fan, and uh, his last goal was against uh, Pittsburgh, as you heard um, just off the top here. Um, you know, it's, like you said, it's, the hockey world is a tight-knit community, and whether, you know, your first, first-line superstar or, you know, your the the trainer on the hockey team you know it's a tight-knit community and a loss is a loss for everybody now some pretty special things coming out of this as often they do uh they had the tribute of sorts roll through battleford saskatchewan and it was basically as big a gesture as you could do right now to honor colby uh they had reportedly this is according to former oilers defenseman eric griba who was part of the convoy but about 15 kilometers worth of vehicles lined up with signs and honking and, and and showing support then we find out that the oilers in partnership with emily cave and the rest of the cave family are going to open up uh memoriam fund of sorts and that'll be a donation to uh, both mental health resources here in Edmonton as well as uh, getting underprivileged kids uh, the equipment they need to play sports so with uh, with the darkness it, it comes the dawn um, I, I, again I say it, it would just be nice if this kind of thing would back off a little bit considering the circumstance right now uh, Colby Cave gone but never forgotten what more can you say watch the breakdown tougher and tougher to uh, lighten the mood on these podcasts we're into episode seven now so we, we we took our best shot at it we called the funniest guy we knew adam blank and that's going to be the meat and potatoes of this episode but uh but good god i mean between 
between the bus accidents anniversary and, and COVID and, and now, uh, again, just an absolute slap across the face from the hockey world once more with the, with the death of Colby Cave. Like, like ugh, I don't know. What do we do, Brad? What do we do to laugh? What do we do? Well, as you said, we did call up uh, the funniest person that we know, Adam Blank, uh, local comedian uh, here in Edmonton. Uh, we talk a little bit about his comedy uh, here what the local scene is like, what it's like kind of being a, a smaller name uh, comedian as well, what the day-to-day life for a comedian is like. And we talk a little bit re- of re- a little bit about wrestling are the words that I'm looking for. Um, we're talking a little bit about wrestling. WrestleMania was crazy a couple weekends ago. Uh, the AEW TNT Championship tournament is going on right now. And... Uh, you know, just talking to somebody as he says, as he uh, deems himself the, one of the biggest wrestling fans there is. That's the biggest thing in his life, other than comedy. And in this interview, you definitely, yeah. you definitely hear it. <laughs> in, in about fifteen seconds, you can understand exactly where he's at in terms of wrestling knowledge. So that's coming up a little bit later on, um, and, and we're going to discuss because, like, only Dana White can. Like, only Dana White can, in the face of the entire world being shut down. Do you think he's going to call off his fight promotion? Nah, I don't think so. Mm -mm. He said, I'll sooner buy a private island, so we'll delve a little bit into that and what ultimately ended up falling through. But first, as we're starting to pick up a little traction here on the Breakdown Pod, and we'd better issue a tip of the cap to you, the loyal listener, and say thank you because our numbers are steadily climbing and you're a big part of that. And so are some of these funny little segments that we're going to unleash over the course of the next few shows as we did last show. But here for episode seven, we're going to dip into a bit of a classic and we're going to draw on some inspiration here from whose line is it anyways? We got a game called Scenarios. And I'll let you explain it. Yeah, so Scenarios, we're going to be playing out a little bit of uh, as the title in Sinuates a scenario. So we have a couple of scenarios for each other that we are going to explain to the other, and the other is going to have to try and carry out a scene uh, with what we're given in the scenario. The other person will lead the other person into the scene with uh, a little bit of a, a line that they will feed to them and uh, hope the other will take away. Uh, so, Esco. Yeah, when done right, it should all sound something exactly <laughs> yeah. like this. Okay, let's break it down in three, two, one. All right, so I'll start, and we're going to have to help each other a little bit here. It's not a competition. We're here to make you laugh, um, but we're going to need to be able to riff. So, you, my friend, in the inaugural episode of charades or scenarios as we're calling it <clears throat> you're at a grocery store as a patron but you're policing social distancing rules i'll start <clears throat> excuse me sir i'm just gonna <clears throat> shimmy on past you here and i'm gonna grab a, oh. a box of oh what are you doing you're way too close six feet six feet I, what do you mean you're just gonna i haven't had a symptom yet I'm just trying. I just want my no-name brand granola bars. Oh my goodness! And 
Did you just come out of the bathroom? Did, is that where you just came out of? Yeah, my hands are still wet. I washed them. See? Here. Oh, get that out of my face. What are you doing? Ah, I gotta get my mask now. Why weren't you already wearing one? Because, because I just washed my hands. I just got out of the bathroom. I saw you in the bathroom. Listen, man, all I'm trying to do here is get uh, 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 a pack of granola bars. I wish the best to you. Have a great day. This is the chip aisle. Let's see. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> I should have called you piss mittens. I didn't even care. I piss mittens. <laughs> piss mittens. Yeah. You should have gotten those piss mittens out of uh, oh, my face. Alrighty. Oh lord. You know what? You're not as uh, you're not as whiny about it as I expected to be. I don't know. I don't know. You thought I would be whiny? Uh, yeah. I thought. Well. Hey. I don't know. I just assume that uh, the real the real Nazis just don't leave the house. They save it for Twitter. And when I, when I say Nazi, I, I I don't mean like a Nazi. I mean a social justice warrior. Nazi. Yeah, I'm not going there. <laughs> All right. So All right, scene two. <laughs> my scenario is uh, you're at a cafe. Okay. Uh, the coffee that you just got at the cafe was black. But it came out with cream and sugar. Uh, you're lactose intolerant, but you're already two minutes late for a meeting at your law firm. But you also only had four hours of sleep last night, so you really need this coffee. <clears throat> I'll start. Carla? I'm looking for a Carla? Anybody? No, you might. Maybe you're thinking of Carl. I'm right over here. Yeah, that's uh, that's the black uh, venti. Uh, yeah, whatever, man. Here you go. Thank you, thank you. I'm just gonna yeah. take a nice uh, big sip of this here. And what the? This is not. This isn't black. I'm looking for the bitterness I need to spark my system, and here I have cream, sir. And I, Carl, ask you. With the limited time I have to pour me a black coffee. Right now. Uh, sir, your name is Carl. I'm not Carl. I Yeah, you, you wrote the, the, my name on the cup. Just, uh, uh, just dump that. Dump sir, that and give me black coffee. I'm on it. Do you I'm already see late. the line that's behind on, you here right now? Yeah, and I'm looking at how close everybody is. Perhaps you should have enacted more social distancing orders. It's, is unbelievable that you think that I am going to turn around and pour you I, another I just, cup of coffee. What, can it's your coworker then I help have. me? I'm behind schedule. You're behind schedule. Why is that my problem? I, listen, listen. I would drink this. I would drink this. I would. I would look you in the eyes, say "fuck you," and and I would turn out here, my Carl ass, and I would go drink this coffee if I was not going to be a gassy lassie after consuming it. I am lactose intolerant, and that is why I demand from you one black coffee, and I will wait no more instances. Drink it. That was that, that was markedly better. That was All markedly right. better. And you know what? I think that 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 round of applause we just got there. Uh, I think that confirms all I needed to know. Uh, we'll rattle off a couple more of these as we're inside of scenarios. And <laughs> I know you haven't experienced this one personally yet. 
but this is quite humorous. Oh, God. Quite humorous. Brett, you're at the car dealership, and all you want is a routine oil change. I'll begin. All right, so it looks like we got you booked for a regular service here. Uh, can I get you a courtesy ride back to work, or are you going to be okay just walking? Uh, you know what? Let's get in the car. Um, but- You're inviting the service manager into your vehicle? I'm here to take your car in. Oh, you're not driving. Oh, no. Oh, no. This is your vehicle. I'm ready to upsell your ass on an air filter once we get to that part. Wait, hold on. Why? Why why do we need an air filter? I thought this was just an oil change. Yeah, but yours is a little dirty. It looks Here, I'll I'll show you this one that definitely came out of your vehicle and not from behind the counter. And look at these. You might be breathing something similar to this in. And if we're... uh, Here, here, I'll save you the time. I'm just going to punch this into the computer real quick. And we're looking at, uh, on top of your oil change, an extra 149 for parts and another 120 for the hour of labor. So what do you think? Uh, this could impact your asthmatic ass. My marijuana filter is cleaner than that. Okay, okay, uh, so be it. I'll tell you what, we did the 199-point inspection, and it turns out that your muffler is uh, exceeding standardized noise decibology What readings. are you talking about? Well, uh, hey, we're, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to serve I you. I just bought this car three days ago. And you're bringing it back for an oil change. Okay, you know what? <clears throat> Dennis, can you come over here? I'm, I'm just going to have you talk to Dennis. He is our I, he's our service extraordinaire. I, I didn't buy the car from a dealership. I bought it from this weird guy down the street. It was a Saturn. It's like gray, as you can see, but it's freaking weird, man. Just change the oil. That's all I'm asking. All right. Uh, 10W30, it sounds like, uh, okay, we have put 5W15 in. Here's your keys. I'm going to get your signature, and off you go. I'm just going to walk. Oh, buddy. You know what? When you buy a vehicle and you take it to the dealership, oh. Is that what happens? Is that actually what happens? 100. Well, it's not. They're very nice about it, okay? They're very, very nice. But I drive a Civic. Uh, My people at Honda have taken very good care of me every step of the way. But when I take my car in for what is a predetermined thing that they programmed. I didn't program that fucking car. I I go in there and every six months it knows that I need an oil change and and in all likelihood my tires rotated. Great. So my car's telling them that, but what they're telling me now is that the air that I'm breathing, uh, the oil filter, oh, 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 the oil filter, you know, we're going to give it a warn right now. Should probably, uh, should probably... Okay, yeah, we'll we'll deal with that next time. Mm-hmm. They pro- knowing car people, they just can't stop working on cars, so they probably just like start making up stuff. They're so they're just like gotta pull shit out of a car. Yeah, <laughs> he comes out with like a fucking heat. He, he's got like something absolutely crucial. Like I don't know, it, it could be something humorous, like a spark plug, right? But like I say, you know, it's just did that come out of my vehicle, or do you just have a prop that you so- show to everybody to convince them that their thing is marginally dirty? Anyway. Uh, Last one here, and then we'll move into our chat with Adam Blank. My last one is, speaking of comedians, uh, you're at a flea market, and you're haggling over the price of a vintage Jim Carrey bobblehead from The Mask um, with the memorabilia vendor. Okay, so the vendor is selling me this mask. It's a... 
It's a bobblehead. Yeah, yeah, of of Jim Carrey. In the so I I am going to purchase a piece of pop culture art for a movie I have not seen by an actor that I'm not a fan of. Um, sounds are great. And are, are you going to lead me into this? I shall lead you into this. All right, right. perfect. I'll, I'll be meandering at your table in the meantime. Hey, hey, you with the burgundy shirt, come over here. Take a look at this. Take a look at this. Oh, this. Sweet. Do you have something saucy for me? <laughs> this bobblehead right here, this bobblehead right here. Oh, yeah, this one's a real specimen. It's a Jim Carrey bobblehead from the mask. And I found it in the bottom of the sea, all right? It was a scuba diving accident, and it's exactly, it was exactly like what happened in the movie. One of a kind, one of a kind. I'll give it to you, 75 bucks. $75 for something so simplistic and trivial. Is that what you're trying to convince me of? $75, sir. $75. See, my, my price range is more like $66. Six. <laughs> I'm sold at sixty-six. I'm serious. <laughs> Sir, sixty-six dollars. Sixty-six dollars. What do you think this is? Stop speaking. Carry? Start selling. Stop speaking. Start selling me this. I want this Jim Carrey bobblehead for my collection. What type of Jim Carrey collection do you have not knowing that $75 is a fucking steal, sir? Uh, one that includes the very bobblehead of him in the suit from Dumb and Dumber? I think not. So don't even start with me on 75 I will not go higher than 66 How much do you think that bobblehead from Dumb and Dumber was? How much? Uh, depends what trade shows you might have scoped that, but you said it was the bottom of the sea. So... So how much did you buy it, stupid? I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> and scene! <laughs> that was as many S's as I could throw in off the top of my head. Holy cow. <laughs> I should not have done that. I'm going to pass on the entire community to that, too. Hey, hey, hey. If there's anything we need to take, if there's anything that we need to take from, from, I don't know, maybe the president of the fucking United States right now, is that being careful is awful. Say what you gotta say, within reason, be educated. Say what you gotta say, and if you piss somebody off, I guess you apologize. Unless you're a racist, and then you're a fucking piece of shit. Anyways, uh, we are going, uh, that was scenarios, so, uh. (laughs) (laughs) Next time it'll go better, I promise. (laughs) And I literally won't piss off two different, uh, communities, I promise, I promise. If there is an episode eight, I don't know at this point. (laughs) Anyway, um, (laughs) a guy much funnier than that just was Adam Blank, super pumped to get him on the podcast, uh, not only about the Edmonton comedy scene, but he was the funniest Edmontonian with a day job. Believe he won that award. Then he quit his day job. So let's hear all about that right now. Watch the breakdown. We are joined now by Adam Blank, a comedian from here in Edmonton. Kind of wears a bunch of different hats. Uh, comedian, uh, podcaster, avid wrestling fan. Avid baseball fan, Rays fan as well. So, uh, um, how are you doing, Adam? Thank you for joining us. 
Yeah, uh, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm doing good. I, you know, I'm a little bored these days, but what can you do about that? And if, that's not, if that's your biggest problem these days, then you're doing pretty good, I think. So. Yeah, yeah suffice to it. say. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. Uh, how are you guys? How's this treating you guys? You okay? Yeah, you know, we're just, uh, you know, shooting the breeze. We're uh, getting a bunch of uh, these podcasts done, obviously, as uh, uh, I guess you've you've listened to a couple, right? Hopefully. Hopefully. Yep. yep. Oh, <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So, so let's talk about, I guess, a little bit of the backstory to begin. You weren't always a comedian, Adam. It started as a forklift driver. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, I drove a forklift. Uh, basically, I mean, I did a couple other little jobs, but for the most part, I drove a forklift from the time I was about nineteen until uh, until I quit my job when I was thirty-two. Thirty-two for what? That's I'm not good at math. How how long is that? Over ten years. Uh, thir- yeah, yeah. Over ten years. Thirteen, fourteen years. Yeah, yeah. Good job. Yeah, over ten. <laughs> there you go, Poppy. Yeah. Right on. <laughs> that's why I went into small art. victories. <laughs> but. <laughs> so, funny so now that was your day job but yeah. now obviously you quit that day job because you won funniest comedian with the day job in 2019 at uh, uh rick, yeah. rick rick bronson right rick bronson's comic strip yeah the comic strip in west edmonton mall yeah i won it last last spring so was that the big novelty check home <laughs> was that your first time in uh, that, uh, I guess, competition or, or format uh, there? And, and what was that kind of competition like? No, it was, so it's actually, uh, I was the runner-up two years in a row before I won it last year. So I was, uh, a lot of people, like, I, I was pretty well the lock to finish second place last year because I had gotten second the two years prior. And so everyone just figured, that's me. I'm, I'm going to be the runner-up, you know, the bridesmaid, never the bride. <laughs> And then, uh, and then I barely, I barely won it last year because there was some really good comics in it. And I'll tell you guys, like the first year you do it, it is the most because it's funniest person with a day job. So at least half of the people that enter have never done stand up, and then the other half are stand ups that are also still kind of working at the same. Like they're not touring pros or anything. Right. Right. And uh, man, the first time you do it, it is the most nerve wracking experience because like the manager of the club kind of pulls all the comedians aside every every night of the contest and gives you the layout of the rules, like you got six minutes of time, and they basically warn you, like, uh, I don't know if you guys, so when you're on stage as a comedian, you get a light. There's a bright red light that tells you how much time you have left. And so right. traditionally, they, they light, they call it give you the light. They give you the light when you have one minute left. And in this contest, they're like, we're going to light you with a minute left, we're going to light you again with 30 seconds left, and then if you go over that, we're just going to cut your mic, and it costs you a bunch of points. And so when you're like a new comic, you're already stressed out because you're going on stage in front of a big group of people. You're going on stage in front of the management of this comedy club. And now you've got to worry about this light and your time and getting your time exact and trying to tell your funniest jokes. And like, yeah, your first time through that contest sucks. It sucks. Like, and that's not sitting on Rick Bronson's or the comic strip. It's just a very stressful uh, situation for sure. But a great learning opportunity. I can only imagine it right here in your backyard, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I will, like, yeah, you uh, you get both, do stuff like that. Like, I hate contests. I'll be honest with you guys. Like, I'm so happy that I won that contest last year because I officially am retiring from the contest <laughs> circuit with my one championship because they're just, they're, they're, they're phenomenal for teaching you how to deal with the pressure and, and the nerves and, and stuff like that. But it just, 
it is so it is re- it really sucks. Like it is so stressful going in. And then what they do, at least in that contest, is they draw the order during the show, so you never know when you're going up. Mm. So if there's ten comedians on your show, uh, Terry Evans from uh, K Rock, he's the host, is the host, and he'll go up and be like, "All right, your next competitor," and then he'll reach into a bucket, pull it out, and he'll be like, "This guy is a paper editor. Here's." Gabe Smith, and now you have to run up there and do your set, but you never know when you're going up. And uh, yeah, it is you're thrown right to the deep end. It's a phenomenal learning experience. It just it hurts. So it, can, it can hurts I ask what the like? Process. What does the triage area look like at that point in the back? Are like people you know nervously pacing around, or people throwing up? Like what does that look like back there? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, a lot of nervous pacing. That's what it is. You know what? There's like there's two or three types. There's like. There's the people that just don't care anymore, and they're kind of drinking and all their fault, which admittedly I was this year. I already got <laughs> twice and didn't think I would win this time. So I was I had a few beers before my set, and I never drink before my set. Really? I had a few beers this time. No, because I because you can you know you get fuzzy and you're not sharp, right? You're right. But uh, this time I was like, I'm not going to win anyways. Fuck it, I'm going to have a few drinks. So uh, there's a couple like that, and then most of them, yeah, it's the nervous pacing, the looking over your notes. You know what I mean? And then every every eight minutes or so after a comic finishes and they go up to announce the next comic, then you see all the comedians get up and kind of move towards like where we'd be going up to the stage together. And then as soon as they start saying what the job is, everyone that's not the, the newspaper editor is like, uh, and then they all go back. And now you have to wind down for seven minutes before you wind up again. Jesus right. Christ, what a roller coaster, man. Holy fuck. They're not really setting you up for success. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, it's, but you know what, though, it's like, it's a learning tool, right? And that's the way I look at it, is it, like, it really, it does make, it either makes you better, or you quit. And now, I feel like that about any set, man, any set. Sorry, uh, now, I, I remember I was, I was actually there when you won that last year and i remember as soon as you won uh somebody pointed right at you and was super excited for you what, what was the kind of feel around the comedy club because i assume it's, it's kind of a family around the club between all the comedians and and uh the talent and and in the club and stuff like that right so what was that kind of feeling like around uh the the comic strip there that night yeah, that was the, probably the coolest part. Because you're right, like, you do... I'll tell you, like, I honestly... Like, and we can maybe get into it. Like, I have a very love-hate relationship with stand-up comedy. Like, there's a <laughs> lot of comedians where this is all they... This is it. Like, this is their life. This is all they want to do. And I'm not that. I'm like, this is certainly better than driving a forklift. But there are a right. lot of days I don't love stand-up comedy. But I do love... It's like, I've played hockey most of my life. And, like, that's how I would describe it. Is it's, They're your teammates. You know what I mean? And, like, no... Not there's never like you never get along with all of your coworkers, but you you get really close knit with a lot of the comedians, especially in your local scene because we're out at the open mics five six nights a week when we're not on the road, and all you're doing is sit around for hours trying to make each other laugh, right? So you really get to know each other. And they're right, that guy that pointed at me from the stage was Will Hannigan. He got third last year, and he's a consistent like top three finisher in that contest as well, who had also never won it. And both of us really wanted to just finally get like you know, get that monkey off our back and get it done. And so when, when they announced the guy that got second, which was Dale, we all pretty well assumed that it was going to be one of me, Dale, or Will at one. And so when Will got third and Dale got second, I was the only one left. And that was when Will was pointing at me because he knew that it was, it was finally I was going to win. And that was, honestly, that was almost as cool as winning the contest because I, I, I love Will. He's one of my best friends. And to know that not only was he not upset that he lost, but he was happy for me. 
that was really cool. Like I, I really appreciated that. It was really nice of both. So that would be a reason to love the industry. Why? What about it turns you off of it? It's um, you know what? It's it's uh, like it's a really greasy business, and I think. Like, I don't have a lot of experience in show business. Like I said, I just drove a forklift for the most part until this. <laughs> but, I mean, like, everyone at their day jobs know that, you know, you're not going to get along with everyone. And sometimes the person that gets the promotion isn't the person that should have gotten the promotion and stuff like that. But, I mean, in stand-up, that's, obviously that's one of the things that you ask any comedian. If you fed any comedian truth theorem and then asked them, are you funnier than some of the comedians that are further ahead than you? Every single one of them is going to be like, fuck yes, I'm way funnier than them and them and them and them and them. We all feel it, right? And so, like, we have no HR department. We have no real structure or chain of command or seniority means nothing. Uh, and that's probably the one of the two things I hate the most about it is it's just such a, it's such a vicious cutthroat industry. Uh, for as fun as it is on the stage, like, the behind the scenes really sucks sometimes and then the second part i hate of it is i just i hate being on the road and i'm i'm a total homebody i, I like honestly like there's obviously this lockdown that's going on right now it's terrible and it's ruining you know people's lives and the economy and everything but i will say for if i forget all of that and it's just the fact that i'm getting to spend all this time at home with my girlfriend and my dog like we've we've seen each other more in the last three weeks than we've seen each other in three months like so that has been really i hate being on the road and that obviously you can't be a comedian without going on the road regularly that's just part of the job. Of course. Well, what is what is the life on the road for uh, a comedian like you kind of look like? Obviously, when you're getting like the Netflix specials and the big specials, it's a little bit more uh, uh, luxurious, I'm sure. But when you're just starting off and doing the clubs, um, you know, what's what's that kind of life looking like? Well, it's like. Yeah, it's like it sucks. <laughs> like it's just it's not like it's not a lot of money. Like it's, you're not making a lot of money, and you're away from home. And the thing is, is like like I'm 36, and I've been with my girlfriend since my early 20s. Like we've been together for a very long time. So like when I go on the road, I'm the old guy that wants to do the show and then go back to his hotel room and just play video games and go to bed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I can imagine if you were in your mid 20s and you're single guy or single girl. And you go out, you do the show, and now you're the rock star because you were one of the comedians that were on the show and everyone wants to drink yeah. with you. I, I, that would be awesome. If you were young and single and you could stay up all night and do whatever, you're like, fuck yeah, give her. But I'm an old man. Like, I want to do my set and get, I'm going to go to bed. You know what I mean? And so, like, when you're on the road, it's you literally, like, if you're at a club for a weekend, you do nothing all day. Like, if I'm at a club for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I get into town Thursday afternoon, do the show Thursday night. Now the time is completely mine until the show Friday night. Then the show's the time's completely mine until Saturday night. And you think, well, that's awesome. But you're not making very much money. Like, to, to open, so to either host or be the opening act at a comedy club, like, at most, you're probably making $100 a set. Jesus like Christ. Yeah. And so they're paying for your accommodations most of the time. A lot of clubs own condos. Instead of renting hotel rooms every week, you just stay at a condo that the club owns. So your accommodations are covered, and sometimes they feed you a meal at the club for dinner. But obviously, like the rest of your food is on your own, and a lot of your trans, um, like your trans, your transit costs are on your own, and everything. So you're trying to budget. You're not trying to spend a lot of money. So it turns into a lot of just like I walk a ton when I'm on the road. Mm. I go for two, three hour walks and just listen to podcasts uh, as much as I can because I go, I go crazy just sitting in the condo. 
So everyone just sees it when you're on stage and you're having a good time and you're having a beer and making everybody laugh. But there's like, there's 20 plus hours of doing absolutely nothing between shows. Of course. You know what I mean? And it sounds like a pretty um, isolating yeah. experience, right? So we we just had on the last episode uh, a band member talking about the tour life, but you've got your buddies there for that instance, and it sounds, Adam, like it, it is a pretty fucking lonely thing for you to be wandering around on those three-hour walks, man. It, yeah, it is. I mean, sometimes you get lucky, especially as you get a little higher up in the industry and you can pick your opening act, so then you can take a buddy on the road with you. You know, but if you get booked... Like, I mean, I do a run every summer out at, they're called Absolute Comedy. There are three clubs in Ontario, in, in Kingston, Toronto, and Ottawa. They're phenomenal clubs. But I, I don't know, I, I've never, other than one comic, and that's Mike Dambra, who's a comedian from here in Edmonton, who mentored me when I started. He got me into those clubs. Outside of him, I haven't known a single one of the comics out there. Uh, or at least none, like 90% of them that I've worked with. So it's like I'm sharing a, a two-bedroom apartment-style condo that's like 500 square feet in downtown Toronto with somebody I don't know and I have nothing to do all day and I can't afford to go out and drop a ton of money doing stuff because I have to save what I'm making to bring home like to live. Um, so yeah, in that case it, it can be, and I'm a pretty introverted person to begin with when I'm off stage. Right. And that, uh, when you combine that with living with someone that you don't know for a week, uh, yeah, it can, it can be a really lonely experience sometimes. And some guys love it. I just, I'm not one of them. That's all. So, you kind of mentioned, uh, or I guess, um, you're, as you get kind of older, or not older, I shouldn't say older, as you get uh, bigger, I should say, rather, um, you're kind of able to pick your, your um, who's warming up for you. If you could pick yeah. your top, top three comedians right now for you to warm up for, who would it be? Like, if I could open for three big comics? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld, because uh, he's the re- like he's my I'm not comedian because of Jerry Seinfeld. Um, I listen to him in high school. I love Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. Jerry Seinfeld, Bill Burr. Bill Burr is the fucking man. Hell yeah. And, <laughs> hmm, I don't. You know what? Probably. Okay, I don't know if you guys are gonna know. He passed away now. Can I go with the dead guy and pretend and pretend he's still Absolutely. alive? Absolutely. Anything okay. goes on Do the breakdown pod. Fuck yeah. Uh, do you guys know who John Panette is? Oh, of uh, course. <laughs> he's a big yes. Free Willy, get out of line. You know who I'm talking about? Everyone knows. If you don't know, listening to this, and you don't know who we're talking about, YouTube John Panette, and right away you're going to be like, oh, it's that guy. Like, everyone knows John Panette. You eat uh, broccoli. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. You scammed my wife. Man. Yeah, oh, oh yeah. My, yeah. <laughs> My girlfriend and I saw him live, like, years ago here oh. in Edmonton. And then he, like, afterwards, he was just in the lobby, like, signing DVDs. And this was way before I'd ever done stand-up. And he, like, we went and met him, and he signed a DVD for us. And he was, like, the nicest guy. And he passed away, and uh, which obviously is sad. Uh, but, like, God, I, w- I would give anything to be able to work with John Panette for one night. And to just tell him, like, how much, uh, like, just how much I, like, look up to him as a comedian. That is squeaky clean. He's not mean. Like, and I work fairly clean myself. And John Pinnett's like squeaky clean. He's inoffensive. He just, he's like, you can not, you, you can't watch him and not laugh. Do you know That's what I mean? Like, he's so, unbelievable. so talented. It's, it's uh, funny you mention John him. Pinnett. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned John Pinnett because he's, he's actually, um, because I'm, I'm a huge comedy fan as well. He is 
like the guy that started getting me as well into comedy and my dad just listening to my dad like wheeze laugh just listening to, to <laughs> him talk about the the um, the Asian restaurants and stuff just it, every time is unbelievable unbelievable yeah he's he's one of those comedians that like I know every joke he's gonna tell uh, but I don't care I'm like I still am gonna watch every time I hear him come on like like on XM in my car I'm like well I'm listening to this like I know every joke I know every word but I don't care because I still think it's so funny. So yeah, definitely John Panette. God, I love that guy. Can you talk, Adam, about I guess the process of like building a set when you go out on tour? I, I imagine you're doing basically the same show in each stop. But uh, but talk about the creative process for you and before you get up on stage. Uh, you know what? Well, okay. So like, this is something I talk about with the other comics because every comic kind of has their own their own system, right? And like, because we all write jokes. And it's crazy. I'll tell you, and like, and I, um, if anyone listening to this, maybe one of you, if anyone doesn't know this, because I'm not looking down on you for it, because I, I just, I did not realize how many people don't know that comedians write all their own jokes. Like, really? I've had, I've, I've had so many people since, I've been doing comedy for about four, a little over four years now. And I've had a few people now, like a lot more than a few actually, like I've had a lot of people be like, so where do you get your jokes? <laughs> like, and I, and I'm, which, which shocks me, because people don't realize that we come up with them, right? Like, we write our jokes. I mean, not everyone. There are jokes, like, there's comedians out there that steal jokes and stuff or tell, we call them street jokes, which are just jokes that everybody knows. Mm. Um, and, like, they're, they're fucking hacks and losers. But most of us <laughs> write our own jokes. Um, but you know what? Like, I've talked about other comedians because there are some comedians that write all their jokes out, like, word for word, and then they go through meticulously and, like, you know what I mean? Like, they know every syllable of every sentence that they're going to say, and that is... And then other comedians don't write anything down. They just come up with ideas and they riff, and then they remember the stuff that made people laugh. Um, and I, when, I, when, I'm a, when I write a joke, I'm, I'm one of those write, write it out, cross out words, play with it type comics. But then when it comes to my set list, and it's funny because there are the same, some comedians have to write out their entire set list before a show. Like they know every, they're like, okay, I'm going to start with jokes about Band-Aids, and then that's going to lead into sewer pipes, which is going to lead into laptop. They know everything. Yeah. And then other comedians don't know anything, and they just wing it. And one of my best friends in comedy is a comedian in Edmonton named Alex Fortin. Alex never writes a word of his jokes down, but has to write a set list before he goes on stage. Really? And I write all my jokes down, but I never write a set list before I go on stage. So we are like the complete opposites of each other. Um, go together. I like to wing it. Yeah. I, I love to wing it. And I'll be honest with you, like in the last year and a half, my act has really transitioned into a crowd. I'm a, I, I think most people that know me now would say I'm a crowd work comic. You know, mm -hmm. I do a lot of kind of making stuff up on the fly or make fun of the town I'm in and stuff like that. And uh, I don't like to have a set list because I want to start talking to the crowd. And then if somebody in the crowd tells me that he's a, a banker, now I have jokes about banking already that I've written. And now I, I can just swing into those. Do you know what I mean? Whereas someone that has a set list written out, it's very hard to just go into one of your jokes on the fly because you're supposed to go from this joke to this joke to this joke. Right. And, and neither one is wrong. It's all just a, it's a preference, right? It's totally just preference. Yeah, and we even experience a similar thing in going through an interview. Like we can write the questions in a linear order, but the conversation's going to go where it's going to go for us. And I'm even looking at this right now. Like, fuck, man, I want to find out about you working with Cowboy Cerrone. We've already talked 21 minutes, and we haven't even hit on wrestling. You know, like 
God damn it, Brett, where are we yeah. going next with this stuff? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> of course, well, as we say with everyone, uh, hopefully this isn't uh, this the last time that we have you, Adam, because uh, we want to pick your brain on, as Brendan said, so many different things. But uh, let's head to uh, wrestling because you do. I know it's kind of on a, a little bit hiatus, a little bit of a hiatus right now, but wrestling with wrestling, your podcast. Uh, yeah. uh, um, let's kind of talk about the podcast a little bit right now. Sure. Well, okay. So like, I'm a, I'm a, like, I, I, guys, I cannot even like, people don't understand. I can't express how much I love professional wrestling. Like I can't get, like, I don't know how to even say it. It's my favorite thing in the whole world. I love it more than comedy. If I could quit comedy and be a pro wrestling manager tomorrow, I fucking would. In a <laughs> like, I love professional wrestling. Hell I went yeah. to a wrestling school when I was younger I just didn't get it. Like, I'm not very physically gifted. I just love, I love the art. I love everything about it. And so I've been hosting a video game podcast for about two years. And then I decided that I really wanted to transition into a pro wrestling one as well. Uh, so I did launch Wrestling with Wrestling. And we were getting some good feedback. Uh, it's kind of taken a hit because it's so hard to keep up with pro wrestling on the road. I mean, if you guys, you guys are like wrestling, right? Like, it's, there's wrestling oh, yeah. every night right now, right? Yeah. Like, it's. Like, there's Monday night, you have Raw. Tuesday night, you've got uh, Power, NWA. Like, Wednesday, you've got AW and NXT. There, I don't know if you got anything on Thursday. doesn't matter. Friday, you've got SmackDown. There's pay-per-views <laughs> on the weekend. Like, there's so much pro wrestling right now. And good um, pro so wrestling. Fucking right it is. Yeah, I mean, there's some bad. I'm not going to bullshit you. There's some bad, too. Oh, so, yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm as excited to be a wrestling fan right now uh, like I, the last time I was this into pro wrestling, I think was probably like the first brand split post Attitude Era, like Eddie Guerrero SmackDown era. Oh you know, yeah, like early two thousand. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like, I, I and really, yeah, like I really feel like the in ring talent in professional wrestling today is better than it has ever been. I just think that, particularly in WWE, they're a little stifled by the creative process. Yeah, and I think you're going to hear that right across the board. But what, like, and I'll let you jump in here too, Brett. But what's interesting to me is watching Brody Lee now as Brody Lee on AEW and thinking back to what he was as Luke Harper in WWE, where he was this, you know, mute mutant who was wearing a dirty stained fucking shirt. And then you listen to his, his actual character, the character that he wants to portray. And he's a well-spoken son of a bitch that we had no idea about. So even in like an encapsulation of how stifled they are creatively, creatively, excuse me, in WWE and watching um, the independent scene sort of enable so much more, uh, it's a real weird juxtaposition, I think, the wrestling industry is in right now. But it's nice to see some real competition for Vince. Oh, it's, it's huge. AEW is like, I, I have a, one of my best friends is a big pro wrestling fan too, Brad. And he's not the biggest AEW fan, which I, which is whatever, like, like what you like, that's fine. So like, <laughs> just to have something, like my thing is when I watch AEW, Brody Lee's such a great example. When I watch AEW, I'm like, this isn't the classic WWE formula. And I don't even know how to explain the WWE formula, but you guys, anyone that watches pro wrestling just knows it. And then you just know what it's not it. Do you know what I mean? Watching yeah. AEW for good and bad. I'm like, there's things here that's like, this isn't Vince McMahon telling them what to do. Brody Lee is such a phenomenal example, you guys. He's so fucking talented. And he's finally got the thumb off. I'm the same as Moxley. Like, I used to love yeah. Dean Ambrose. He was my favorite member of the Shield by a mile. But now you see what he's doing as Moxley, and you're like... What could some of these guys in WWE be doing if they could just get the shackles off and fucking be free for like a maniac? 
Moxley's an absolute right? maniac. And I, th- I think somebody else, too, that uh, kind of falls into that is Lance Archer. I remember Vance Archer in WWE, and that was god-awful. God-awful. So bad. Yeah, so bad. And then he well, goes I, out on the I, indies I, and tears it up. Yeah, Murderhawk, baby. Uh, yeah, there, there's not... There's not one guy in AEW that I'm like, oh, I wish I could send them to WWE to see what WWE would do with them. But there are so many guys in WWE that I'm like, fuck, I wish you could leave tomorrow. Yeah. AEW, <laughs> like so many. So. So let's uh, let's stick with WWE right now, or let's kind of go to WWE right now, as obviously yeah. the biggest show ever, uh, WrestleMania, um, was this past Sunday, or not this past Sunday, it was a couple Sundays ago. It was a Sunday. It was a Sunday. Um, but recently And a enough, Saturday. And a Saturday. It was a two-day two Saturday day and Sunday. How could I forget? How could I forget? It was too big for one night, you guys. There was nobody <laughs> there. It was too big. <laughs> so let's let's start with uh, the obvious one, I guess. Let's just get it out of the way. Um, the Fiend and Bray Wyatt and John Cena. What the hell was that? What the hell was that? <laughs> I yeah. Okay, you know what? Like, I, half of me is like, what the fuck did I just watch? And then the other half of me is like, you know what? At least he, at least they're trying something different. Because I am a fan of The Fiend. I'm a fan of Ray Wyatt. And uh, I know it's probably an incredibly unpopular opinion, but I, I'm not anti-Cena. I wouldn't yeah. go as far as to say I'm a Cena fan, but I'm not anti-Cena. I'm fine with him. Uh, he should have put fucking Nexus over. He should have put fucking Nexus over. Oh, I don't yeah. know if everyone's going to get that reference, but he should have lost the fucking Nexus back in the day. But anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're right. Like my girlfriend watched WrestleMania with me. She's a casual wrestling fan. She watches it when I like when she's sitting there and it's on. Right. And we were both kind of like, "What the fuck?" And she doesn't know who the NWO is, and she right. didn't know about Saturday Night Main Event. And so when they were going all these flashbacks, I was getting a kick out of it. But then I had to explain to her what it is, and and she didn't know who Eric Bischoff was when they were showing the clips from from old Nitro and oh, stuff. Wow. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I had to. How many of their fans? are younger than 25 and weren't watching Nitro or okay. Saturday Night Main Event and didn't know what the fuck that even was. That's what I was I was thinking as well, too, because they even cut back to um, the old uh, Saturday Night, or uh, what was, Rampage was it that they cut back to? What was it that they cut uh, back to? They had something... Rampage. Sorry? Like slam, like they like slam masters and stuff. They had all kinds of like the vintage wrestling shit on there. Yeah, that was. Then, I had yeah. to. I actually questioned myself to see if that was actually real. If that actually happened. So here's my yeah, issue with like, all of this: is it like it seems like they're undecided because so much of their marketing and their branding and their it, it looks like it's going to be geared towards quite literally little kids a lot of the steps of the way. And then you start hearing about things like that, like the the main event, and I know that everybody's going to tune in, but so are a lot of casual fans, right? So it just seems like a weird place to have tried to splash in a blast of the past. And to me, it almost seems like they're, because that's how N, or AEW, excuse me, is really branded their content is, is kind of a more raw style of wrestling. I, I, despite what Vince has said, I believe that he's feeling the pressure. And to me, that's kind of a really good example of, of that showing a little bit is that indecision. Yeah, I could get behind that. It's him trying to do what they're doing and be like, yeah, we can do that. And the thing is, is I feel like if had they, because I loved the segments of that where they called back to Bray Wyatt and John Cena. 
mm-hmm. from four or five years ago. And I think if they had just stuck to that forward, like if they had like maybe showed a clip of Husky Harris getting beat up by John Cena and then shown Bray Wyatt getting beat up by John Cena, yeah. and had the Fiend go on about how John Cena ruined the Wyatt family and ruined, you know, the Fiend is here because of John Cena type thing, Ooh. then it would have worked. Ooh. Stuff like the NWO and the vintage callbacks, I thought they were cool because I grew up watching the NWO. But I have to imagine 50% of the fan base had no fucking idea what that was. Absolutely. They had no idea what that was. Well, speaking of uh, going back to the past, um, one of their former champions, former now champions, uh, Goldberg, why is he still <laughs> in a, the WWE and why was he a champion? He should have never. I fucking. I despise everything about Bill Goldberg. I hated him in WCW. I hated him in his first WWE run. He seems. And listen, here's the thing: is because I'm a big like. This is unpopular. I'm a Brock Lesnar fan. I love. Oh him. wow! There's like, the yeah, bomb. I'm Brock Lesnar because you, you want to know what? Because in ten more years, if I'm still doing comedy, I'm going to be comedy Brock Lesnar. <laughs> I'm going to be the guy who's like, I'm just here to get paid pay me, and then I'm leaving. Like, yeah. that's what I am. So I can get behind that gimmick and what he's doing. And the difference between Brock Lesnar and Goldberg, neither one of them loves the pro wrestling business. Neither one of them even cares about the pro wrestling business. They're both there to get rich. But at least Brock Lesnar can work. Brock Lesnar can put yeah. on a really good match with the right opponent and when he wants to. Name, I'll give you guys all the time in the world you need. Name five good Bill Goldberg matches. Oh, <laughs> there's Bill Goldberg versus DDP from Halloween Havoc, and that was because DDP made Goldberg look good. And yeah, that's, that's it. Goldberg yeah. is a, I fucking can't. Stand, I don't like Braun Strowman either, but I was like, hey, at this point, if he gets the title off of Dickhead, there, fine. He should never wrestle again. Never again. <laughs> so who's who's your I favorite wrestler? So much. My uh, Chris Jericho. All time oh. is Chris Jericho. I think, like, like, can Uh, we talk, and and I don't want to get too deep into this because it could take up another half an hour, but your Mount Rushmore has to look a lot different in the last five years after what Chris Jericho has done than it did maybe the first time around that he left WWE, let's say. Absolutely, because, like, listen, I've been a Jericho fan since, like, I'm not going to pretend that I knew him before WCW, but ever since Monday, do you guys remember Monday Night Jericho? And he had Ralphus? Ross Jericho. Like, I, y'all... His debut on Monday Night Raw, and then the night, do you guys remember the night that he unofficially beat Triple H for the WWF title, and then they reversed it? Yeah, I do actually. His debut and that moment are my two favorite pro wrestling moments of all time. Cool. Like, I adore Chris Jericho, but until the last four or five years, I I wouldn't have put him on my Mount Rushmore. I would have been like, he might be the best all-around performer that ever existed. As far as, like, in-ring, hardcore, promos, personality he can switch it up heel face do you know what i mean like he might be mm-hmm. the best at doing all of it combined but i certainly wouldn't have put him anywhere near a conversation for mount rushmore but now i i think the only reason you wouldn't is if you're not paying attention like if that's the only reason you know because i can guarantee you you guys if you were like if you went to a non-pro wrestling fan and you're like you know who hulk hogan stone cold steve austin the rock and john cena are they would say yes yeah if you said you know who chris jericho is they might not mm-hmm right and so in that aspect of course he's not but to me yes he is the best of everything he's the best of every wrestler squished into one phenomenal package and he's still as good today dude he got shut your ass over yeah <laughs> that is the catchphrase all he said was shut your ass and now that's like that's like 
a huge catchphrase. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fucking t-shirt and everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. He, like, can you imagine AEW without him? Oh, yeah. They, he's, he's their Babe Ruth. He's phenomenal. I adore yeah. Chris Jericho. Totally. Adore him. Incredible that he's Canadian. And for me, the, the real moment where he became my favorite wrestler of all time wasn't even that long ago. But it was when he was, for the second year in a row... On board a cruise, bearing his name, wrestling a match, which he entered to a song that he wrote that fucking rocks, by the way. And he's yeah, he, he just he, he comes out and I just I just looked at this guy. He's like he's having a cruise party in his own honor, star of the show, coming out to his own music. And that was the that was the bow. That that was it for me. Oh. And he eclipsed the rock as my favorite wrestler of all time. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, oh, The Rock. I fucking adore The Rock, too. But yeah, no, that's absolutely. I remember watching that night and watching, and I think, I don't know if it was that night or if it was like a week or two later, but right around then the crowd started singing his song whenever he came out, too. Yes. But then when he starts to wrestle, then they boo him because they know, well, we're supposed to boo you. You're the bad guy. But you're such a rock star that you're fucking right. We're all going to sing your theme. And I remember watching that night where he came out on the on the cruise ship with them all, like, and just looking like a god. And I was like, dude... That must be about the coolest moment of his fucking life. Exactly. Right exactly. Sure. Yeah. Scream singing uh, his own song back to him <laughs> as he walks out into the middle yeah. of the show. Unbelievable. Oh, he's phenomenal, man. I fucking love Chris Jericho. He's my girlfriend's favorite wrestler, too. Well, him and the Miz. We're both big Miz fans. Ooh, hell yeah. I'm a Miz guy, too. It, um, it's funny, Adam, and sorry to cut you off here, Brett, but everybody that you've cited as somebody that you're, you're on board with, they've got the mic skills. Do you think there's a coincidence there or not? <laughs> it's true man I, it bugs me when a wrestler there are very few wrestlers that can't talk that i still like like very few like you have to i consider talking almost more like honestly like i like the rock but the rock in the ring was very good at best you know what i mean like he was never exceptional he was always just very good but the charisma the rock has bleeds out of his ass and it's incredible and i I've always, that's my favorite. I fucking love that. It's the coolest thing, man. Like, I don't care how well you can wrestle if you can cut a good promo. I can look past bad wrestling if you can cut a good promo. Well, you got to sell point. Enzo Amore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fuck. Case in point. Yeah, because I like Enzo. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, that guy can fucking talk, and you can't teach that. That's and right. I, oh, I so... It turns me on almost when I see a guy that can just cut a promo that good. I fucking love it so much. MJF right now too, I think is the best promo better. Yes, he is unbelievable. MJF is my MJF is everything I dreamed of being in high school. Like in high school, we'd be backyard wrestle and like and we'd all cut promos and we'd play the wrestling video games because that was during like the Attitude Era. Yeah. And uh, MJF is everything I wanted to be. So bad. He's yeah, phenomenal. Cool. Um, so let's stick with, uh, uh, AW. We'll just, uh, wrap things up in a little bit here, but, uh, I do want to talk about the AW TNT championship on, uh, last, um, dynamite Cody beat Sean Spears via a pin on the figure four leg lock. Yeah. <laughs> what was what? that? I don't, yeah, that threw me off too. I was, I was fully expecting Spears to kick out at the two. Because, like, yeah. how many times have we seen that? Someone gets put in a hold, they kind of forget their shoulders are down, and then they did it. And even Jericho on commentary was like, I've never seen that before. 
that was yeah. a weird finish. That was novel. Uh, but uh, I do, I do want to just kind of get what you think about uh, the TNT Championship. What uh, you think uh, this tournament will look like? Obviously, Cody beaten uh, Sean Spears on Dynamite, as we just said. Uh, Kip Sabian will go up against Dustin Rhodes, uh, Lance Archer with against Colt Cabana, and uh, Darby Allen versus uh, Sammy Guevara in the first round. So, what do you think uh, this championship tournament is going to look like? Well, okay, like, I was surprised Cody won because, to me, like, the obvious storyline is Lance Archer and Cody in the finals. Of course. AEW has been really good at avoiding the obvious, you know what I mean, like, and not actually giving it to us, so I didn't Mm -hmm. think they would. But then when Cody won, I'm like, fuck, maybe they... Because, like, if if it was me, listen, listen, I've been been saying this on Wrestling with Wrestling, like, they need a secondary title. So I'm I'm all for this. I think the name is stupid. But they need a secondary (laughs) title, no question. Um... If it was up to me, Sammy Guevara would win this tournament because I think Guevara is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and he's such a little piece of shit. But <laughs> right now, he's just Jericho's bitch. Like he needs something to make himself stand out, right? Um, yeah, that they've been lacking now, that for like, a while. Yeah, but like now, like I think, I think uh, personally, I think in the semis you get Cody and Guevara, and I think you get Dustin Rhodes and Lance Archer, and then. I don't know, does Lance hurt Dustin, like, to go to set up the final against Cody, and now he's put Dustin out? I don't, like, that's what I think happens. That's, that's what exactly I what I had paced together. Same, same idea, right? But but is that too obvious? Is that, like, to slap you across the face with what we all assume? Or, because we're such, you know, I'd like to at least pretend that we're kind of advanced wrestling fans, um, is, is that who they're pandering to, or are they going to give you what they think that they should? See, because I, I think that they know that we're the fans watching their product. And, like, to me, you can sell Cody and Lance Archer without putting this title in there. Like, on their next pay-per-view, they can do Cody versus Lance Archer, not have it be anything to do with this championship, and people will still care. And then you can use this championship to get somebody else over. Like, I just, I just like, that's why, to me, I would give it to Sammy. I would give it to, well, I would give it to the winner of Sammy Guevara and Darby Allen. I'd give yeah. it for Sammy because I... But I, I, those two guys are two of your best young. Like as a, as someone that had no idea who they were prior to AEW, I, I'm now I'm on board. I'm like they're both really good, like upper mid card guys. That to me is who this title should be for. Like yeah. Cody and Lance don't need it. I'm I see, and I agree with you in the fact that I think uh, they could sell the Archer Cody match. But I think what they might do is I think they'll have the winner of Darby Sammy beat Cody. And then have whoever wins that face Archer and then have Archer be the champion. And then I think down the road, whoever beats Archer, who's this big, monstrous, like you're not going to stop him guy, end up being, uh, um, end up getting over because they, they're able to take down this Goliath. Yeah, I could see that. And then they get Archer over off the top by letting him win this belt and like dominate for a little while. Yeah. yeah, that could work. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, there's no way Cody wins this. Like, if Lance makes the finals, he wins. I don't think they let Cody. Cody doesn't need it. I mean, Cody knows he doesn't need it. He's he's probably the most popular guy on the roster aside from Moxley. Like, he doesn't need the belt. So yeah, um, yeah. What? Yeah. No, I don't, I'm just like, I'm excited for the titles here. I hope it's like a TV championship where it's defended every week. Considering it's named after the network, 
I'm assuming oh. that's what they're gonna fucking do. True. But uh, <laughs> I, but but I'm just I'm so happy for them to have another title because there's so many guys just wrestling aimlessly right now, and I'm glad they're bringing another championship into the fold for sure. And tournaments are always awesome. Of course, of course. Not like the Brawl for All, which I just watched on the dark side of the ring. But uh, we want to wrap everything up with a little bit of a bow here. Um, Just quickly, we want to talk about, uh, I know you went down to Tampa Bay uh, a couple years ago, a year ago, to go watch uh, your Tampa Bay Rays play on opening day. Uh, Yeah, it was a couple years ago. And yeah, my girlfriend's a diehard DJ fan. And I'm a a semi-hard that doesn't sound right. I'm a, I'm a, like an almost diehard race. Like I love baseball. I'm a pretty big race fan. So yeah, we went down to catch the Rays J series uh, in Tampa because tickets there are worth nothing because nobody goes. Like right. nobody fucking goes. So <laughs> what is the trop nobody. like in person? It's nice. It's you know what? Other than the fact that it's indoors, it's a really nice park. Like it's clean. I love the blue and like the light blue, like those race colors. Um, it does, it's just, it's weird because it's under a giant, like, concrete-colored tarp. Oh, gross. Uh, but it rains, like, 200 days a day, there, a year there, right? So they have to cover it. Um, if it was outside, it would be a beautiful park. Cool. But, but it was still fun, and you can sit anywhere because, like, no one goes. Like, it was, we had a fucking great time. Dude, the first night we were there, we sat right behind home plate. And Jose <laughs> Batista, life, I fucking despise Batista. <laughs> Batista struck out, struck out five times. What? So hard. And at the end of the night, the security guy came up to me, and we have pictures of me with the security guy. And the guy's like, "Man, you didn't swear. That was perfect." He's like, "I never once had to come up here." I heckled him so much, and there's no way he didn't hear me because you could hear me. You could hear the players talking because there's no one in the park, so there's no way he can't hear me. And on his third strikeout, I was yelling like, "Hat trick, Jose!" On the fourth strikeout, I was like. Show yourself a booster juice, Joey Bass. You'll be all right. <laughs> I was like, give him a base. I was like, at five, I think they just give you one, Joey. Take your base. <laughs> right toward him, going back to his dugout. And I was like crying. It was the best day of my life. That is unbelievable. Well, Adam, uh, we want to thank you. We- Wow, I think it's been like 40, 45 minutes. This has been a long, long interview, but uh, we really appreciate this conversation and, and hopefully not the last time you join us. Absolutely. Anytime you guys want. Thank you so much for having me. Watch the breakdown. So from one form of overly masculine entertainment to another, we're going to talk about, well, we're going to talk about Dana White's ridiculousness, but we're going to talk about the idea The UFC 249 was going to be held at a third-party venue because the MLB has been talking about this. The NHL is certainly considering it. And there's some merit, in my opinion, to that idea. Of course, North Dakota has zero population density whatsoever. So you're not going to hold it in Brooklyn, for example, where it was originally scheduled because that's the epicenter in the entire world right now. But maybe a place like North Dakota for hockey, basketball, etc., etc. Okay. Understood. But that wasn't good enough for Dana White, was it? Nope. It was not. Dana White plays by Dana White's own rules. So for UFC 249, it all starts to break down. The headline was going to be Habib Nurmagomedov. I can never say that. Can you say Tony Ferguson? That's the guy. Okay, you you set me up. You set me up for it. Okay. Uh, It was. And now. 
Fighting out of the blue corner. Standing five feet, eight inches tall. I don't know how. I, I didn't need his stats. I just wanted to go. What's his name again? Tony what? Ferguson. Okay, I got this. I got right. this. Don't worry, I got this. Don't worry, I got this. Ooh, baby, you got me. Hopefully got at some point during this episode. Tony Ferguson! So this, this fight had been scheduled three previous times, if you can believe it. So now, what ended up happening, just the Coles Notes breakdown of this, is Khabib, or Habib, however you want to pronounce that, it's Russian... Does it fucking matter anyway? Um, so Habib goes back to Russia because of the pandemic, and now the borders are closed. So, oh shit, even if we wanted to have this fight, I can't leave my home country. Guess what? He didn't want to. So now Ferguson's calling him out and saying, you're ducking me, you're ducking me, we've tried this X amount of times. All the while, in behind the scenes, Dana White's trying to find a venue. And instead of arriving at the conclusion, like we said before, of one of these landlocked, maybe like a Wyoming or a North Dakota or whatever, um, and, and hold it not in front of fans. Because the point is, like that, they, they make so much money off of their pay-per-views. All they have to do is get the product on TV. That was the main concern. People will buy it. Whatever. So... To circumvent the system, Poppy, Dana White decides he's going to do this on a private island. Wow. The balls. Isn't that the most Dana White and UFC thing ever? I mean, their entire inception was just based off of, what if we just got people from all over the world to fight in this cage? And then I think at one point, I was listening to the podcast, and I think at one point, the guy who was making the cage like decided that there should be like sharks or something underneath the the ring or something something crazy so this is is not completely out of the realm of possibilities for them but i think my number one thing that i want to see from the ufc and am absolutely baffled that we have not seen it yet is joe rogan and dana white inside of the octagon which is incredible and i can't wait to delve into that just to put a bow on ufc 249 dana white was not successful in acquiring this private island it of course fell through like hello um so now it's been postponed but that's going to be an absolute clash of titans tony ferguson can bang with the best of them habib we know him from his trilogy with with uh, conor mcgregor so that'll be a good fight it's just like i i don't know how you could possibly forecast when that's going to be yeah, no, and, and it's funny because I believe it was uh, uh, on Tuesday or Monday of this week, uh, Florida deemed sports an essential business, including like WWE and UFC and stuff, which is, if you want to talk about Florida, this is Florida. They're just like, yeah, fuck it, put them, put them in us. Okay. Well, and, and here's the entertaining thing. So for those who don't know, like the WWE training facility, and they're they're based out of. Um Florida. So they do have the studio in which to film stuff, which ultimately I believe is where WrestleMania went down. But WrestleMania went down the weekend before they announced that it was an essential service. So it wouldn't have had fans, but at least they could have had, you know, an easier work environment there. I, I don't know. I just, the whole thing has become so goddamn politicized. I'm just trying to check out of it as much as possible by doing things like this. Let's talk about the UFC super fight that hasn't happened yet. And this only really came to fruition for me, Brett, when Joe Rogan shaved his head. But good God, it, it, 
good God, if we don't see him go toe-to-toe with Dana White at some point, I think the world is a worse place for it. I mean, they both look generically like every UFC fighter ever put into one body and then just split them into or two. Or like, every white middle linebacker, too. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And they they split, like, uh, and I'm going to refer to our last episode. It's Flubber, not Blubber. Flubber was the green um, uh, blob that I was talking about. But, I mean, they are... <laughs> The two, I think when I was younger, I thought they were the same person. Flubber when and Flubber or Dana and Dana <laughs> <Flubber>. and Joe? <laughs> yeah, Dana and Joe. And I just, yeah. <laughs> I would always be like, why is Dana White talking about Fear Factor? Why is he hosting this shit? But like, I feel like that would be the two just, they would never hit the ground, I don't think. Or maybe that would be... Well, oh, hang on. Hey, do you, do on you really want to get into this? Because I prepped a whole fucking cavalcade of notes and broke this down. So are you yeah. ready? Are you yeah. ready for this? So so Joe Rogan, he's 52 years old. He's a two-time black belt. He holds two separate black belts in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. What? <laughs> like, if this fight gets to the ground, Dana's in a whole world of trouble. Rogan, just as a bit of a backgrounder, by the way, I thought this was super interesting. He actually started with UFC back in 1997. It was at UFC 12, and he was working uh, as a backstage interviewer and then sort of worked his way up to color man. In 2005, Rogan was actually challenged by Wesley Snipes to a cage fight, and that was right before. In fact, it got called off because, as some of our listeners may remember, Wesley Snipes got in trouble with the tax man, and he got thrown in jail for a long time. So Rogan says that that was basically an idea for a quick buck to get himself out of trouble with Uncle Sam. But yeah, so Rogan did, uh, in 1996, so the year before he jumped on UFC, Joe Rogan did train, start training uh, under Eddie Bravo, who's one of the more renowned black belts uh, or, or Brazilian jiu-jitsu, excuse me, um, practitioners. He's got his own what do you call it? I guess it's a dojo still. Dojo. Uh, but, I, I believe it's dojo. But you work your way up to be able to award these belts. I'm sure anybody who's taking martial arts is probably laughing at this half-baked explanation. But with Eddie, Eddie Bravo, he's got a black belt with no gi, and then a guy by the name of Jean-Jacques Machado uh, with in the gi uh, portion of BJJ. So if this fight gets to the ground, Joe Rogan is absolutely going to take it down. What do you think about that? But Dana White also has a background in, uh, I believe it's kickboxing. Regular boxing. I oh, this is another boxing? this this is a crazy other part of the story. So White checks in at about 5'10-209, right? He's a muscle hamster, as you sort of alluded to. He's Irish, so you know he's got the fighting in him. And he did start boxing at age 17 before coaching something called boxer size. Uh yeah, I assume that to be the same as Jazzer size. I uh boxer size is <laughs> I don't really associate that with something that Dana White would necessarily be doing, but okay. Um, Glorified Zumba. Yeah, or or Taibo is what I was thinking, but that maybe oh, that's kickboxing. Oh, anyway, like the stuff that you see old people doing in the mall—that's Tai Chi. Oh, yeah, no, that, that, that's loosening up them joints. As far as Dude, I know, I don't know. The craziest <laughs> thing happened when I was working in a mall. They were doing that stuff, and one of them pulled out swords and started smacking them against our like like closed metal doors and i was opening and i was like what the fuck is going on here like it was unbelievable excuse but me I guess sonny it- i'm just looking to get a jersey uh, roger clemens blue 
Jays jersey. Sir, Roger Clemens hasn't played in Toronto in 20 years, and even if, I mean, like, he was kind of on steroids and stuff. No, no, no. Anyway, this is is a complete sidebar. I could see Dana White doing that type of stuff, though, just, like, getting... uh, Actually, in fact, Joe Rogan probably, too. They're probably the same guy. That's the thing. So White's a couple years younger. I mentioned how he's built. He did box. Uh, But here's here's what really gets me, is apparently he reportedly owed money to infamous mobster Whitey Bulger. Like, like, we're not talking, like, low-level street crime. No, we're talking, Whitey Bulger was, like, second in charge of the fucking, the, the mob in the Massachusetts area where White's from. So, apparently it was about $2,500, so the, so the story goes. And, and White was like, yeah, 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 okay, okay, okay. So you, you're starting to see where the machismo aspect of this comes in. Nobody's telling a fucking mob boss, I don't have your money right now. Okay, so so what happens is Whitey comes to collect for like the upteenth time and told Dana, like, I'm coming for you right now. Apparently Dana skipped town. He, he bought a, a plane ticket from, from Massachusetts to Vegas and he's been there pretty well ever since. So, so, but but you see where it's like, okay, like, you know, all right, so Rogan's got the background. Rogan calls the fights, so you understand that he understands so much of what goes on and and the the structure behind why you're doing what you're doing in in the cage. Um, But he's also maybe, both guys look like they're equally in shape. I don't know if Dana's as into pot as Joe is. Maybe that factors in. Maybe Joe's stamina isn't quite there. Maybe, maybe Dana White's tenacity, ferocity, and unwillingness to accept no for an answer has him come out on top. That's not where my money's going, but I'll play devil's advocate. Um, I would probably say that... So the thing about Rogan is, like you said, he has that, that background and the obvious knowledge of the sport. But so many times when you watch a fight and you watch Rogan break down a fight, it's like uh, the beauty in the mind of him being able to see what exactly is going on inside of the octagon and inside of the head of a fighter is unbelievable. So I think him being able to apply that to a real fight, uh, especially against an absolute egomaniac like himself – but it, like Dana White as well, I think would just make him prepare for this type of fight so much more, so much better, so much more intricate and just absolutely pick Dana apart. I think he would have a fight, but I, I don't think it would end up like Ronda Rousey, but maybe like old BJ Penn. <laughs> like licking the blood off the backs of his gloves kind of BJ Penn? No, no, I or mean like older. I mean, like old BJ Penn, like ah, I see what twenty. You're what is that? Twenty like seventeen BJ Penn when yeah, he just the, like, the, the the twilight of his career. <laughs> yeah, when he just continued to get slowly, sadly knocked out, and you're like, buddy, buddy. <laughs> it was over in 08, baby. I'm sorry. Nah, yeah. BJ was good. Anyway, there you go. We can talk UFC too, so I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, the number one dream fight for me that hasn't happened at any point is Anderson Silva versus George St. Pierre, and now we're not going to get it. Um, it's a shame, and for both of them being in their primes at the time that they were, it's kind of a shame that super fights came around sort of just after that and and they were never able to make it work george took a couple years away from the sport and that was the end of that so instead we're debating two 
uh, absolutely. <laughs> what, what would you call them? Transcendent personalities? Because Dana White was literally going to buy an island so he could have his own way. And Joe Rogan talks for three hours every single day on his own podcast. Well, the so. UFC is always, <laughs> yeah. Well, the UFC has always been like well known for their their personalities too, right? And I think the Liddell and uh, Ortiz fight, what? Well, it obviously was the first super fight, but I think after that, people were just like, now what? And I think after that, UFC with George St. Pierre, with Anderson Silva, with uh, like guys like Frank Mir, uh, Minotaro Nogueira. Even Brock uh, Lesnar. you got to give Brock some credit. Of course. Um, you know, they were able to make stars out of themselves by what with what they were able to do in the, the octagon. Um, but for me, my dream fight, um, I think I, I really like Anderson Silva and GSP. But I think GSP will be in mine as well. But I'm going to go with GSP against, uh, I want to see McGregor. I think that would be cool. That would be wild. But again, stylistically, I, McGregor is a striker, I think, would kick the shit out of George St. Pierre. And that's no disrespect to George. But George's success, in my opinion, came from his wrestling ability. If he can get Connor to the ground, it's no question. But Connor can bang. Wait, look at all the super fight losses. He, Connor's lost or suffered, right? Mm-hmm. He got choked out, or at least he tapped out uh, with. Um, was that Nick Diaz? Diaz, Diaz, yeah, Diaz. I almost called him Ortiz as well. Diaz, um, Habib. He got uh, he tapped out as well. And uh, who was the other one that I was? I had that was the other one that I had in my head. He. Are you thinking of his boxing know. match, maybe with Money Mayweather? <laughs> no, but that was, I don't even and, want to and, talk and, Yeah, that. anything to make a dollar. All right, well, I think we battled this show out for long enough, so we'll put a bow on episode seven of the Breakdown Podcast. A couple more awesome ones in the chamber, but to find out about all of our great content, where do you go? Please go to our social medias. That's where you'll find everything. Uh, the Breakdown underscore pod is where you'll find us on social media. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at the Real Holden Forty. You can find Brendan at uh, Brendan Escott. That's uh, B R E N D E N. Brendan with an E uh, on Instagram as well. And uh, remember to share us as well. That is the only way that you're going to be able to get more content from us. And, uh, you know, the only way that you're going to hear more from us as well. And we are so proud of we are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So share those links with your friends, family, uh, people that you uh, see on the street, but six feet Oh, yeah. between each other just maybe like just, maybe wonder. yell we just yeah. holler because um, we don't need another grocery store incident hey the breakdown podcast listen to it watch the breakdown